Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. The premise is simple. The podcast will provide you with insights for living and leading the authentic way so you'll be better equipped to amplify your positive impact as a difference maker in any area of your life. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I'm super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. Just want to welcome everybody, stay real, and I look forward to another episode here. Haley, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, you know, fall feels crispy and outside. It feels nice and, you know, and I'm also a huge pumpkin spice person. I love, I know I was mentioning this last week too, but we love pumpkin spice and I love cinnamon and nutmeg and cozy sweaters. So I'm that, I'm that person. I love it. How about you, dad? How are you? I, I'm, I love the fall. This yeah. is always a, you know, I think I maybe mentioned this in our last episode, but I love it. It's, it's always a renewal season for me. I uh, yeah. rode my bike to work today and riding through the leaves and through the beautiful colors that are starting to form. And uh, yeah, I love this. I love this time of year. Nice, crisp weather. Me too. Me too. And it just feels like everyone has energy. You know, we're getting close to Thanksgiving. You know, it just feels like a, a really nice reset. People aren't tired yet. It's just, it feels good. So I'm good. Good. So you wanted to talk today about accountability. Maybe you could talk about what uh, what led to your uh, thinking about having a podcast on accountability, because it's certainly a passion of mine has been a central part of my work for probably the last couple of decades. I guess really where it's come up is I've been talking to friends. I've got a few friends who work for the federal government, for example. Um, and I know, living in Ottawa, you may be surprised that a lot of my friends that I live around work for the federal government. Um, but a lot of them now are going back to work in the office, some full time, some couple of days a week, some three days a week. And so we were discussing about like, why is it that, you know, what is it about going back to the office? Like, is it about you know, rejuvenating the office spirit. And, and they kept saying that it's about their bosses, their managers, not trusting that they could get the work done at home. They were like, you know, there, there are cases of people, you know, double dipping their time and working two jobs during office hours, you know, working from home and actually, you know, not spending the full time working, uh, things like that. Um, but instead of, you know, holding employees accountable by bringing them into work, Right. And so and I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, and maybe that's just a generational thing. But so it's been on my mind in that regard because of that. Um, but then also I was thinking, too, like I've had bosses in my life that are micromanagey uh, and I don't feel like I am able to take full accountability for my actions because my my bosses don't trust me to make mistakes and, and they are checking in on, on everything that I do. Um, so I was just wondering, like, where is the, the balance between as a as somebody in a, a position of management, where is the balance between holding somebody accountable and micromanaging? And where's that line? OK, so this is a great topic. This is my passion. This is what I've been spending a great deal of my life uh, engaged in this kind of a conversation. So one of the things you got to get is an understanding and put a context for how this whole thing around accountability came to be. So I am going to just step back and do a little bit of uh, contextualizing here. So organizations are designed to solve problems, make the most of opportunities through a strategy and make things happen and produce results. And that historically has been done through a patriarchal relationship, which means that the boss 
is it's a parent-child relationship. The boss is responsible for making it happen. Uh, the boss is, is accountable for that. And, and then the employee is responsible to do as they're told, to do the job. And the, the boss manages that system. And it's, it's what I call a parent-child patriarchal relationship. Now, you can see this in uh, spades when you just look at systems. They're based on parent child. Look at the word supervision. Mm -hmm. uh, who in this society wants to be supervised? Well, that's a parent. That's an implied parent-child relationship. It's ingrained probably since the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, we evaluate employees. Now, this is what you do with kids. You give them a grade. And so what we do is that we grade employees. And it's based on this patriarchal notion that I'm the boss and I'm going to evaluate you based on a scale of one to 10, whatever this, the rating is. I always say, listen, uh, we, uh, performance reviews are all based on an evaluation process, which is a parent-child relationship. And, and, then we, and then kids rebel. Mm -hmm. and, 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 ki and so we send kids home to work alone at home. And now they're out of we're out of control in the patriarchal system. So the patriarchal system has been shaken up in COVID because the boss now no longer has the same degree of control. And mm -hmm. if you're working from that mindset, then you're going to feel like the reason you're going to go back to work is to be more controlled. Now, your generation, Haley, has done uh, a lot of good to shift us out of that mindset. Now, what I propose is that we move instead of a parent-child relationship, we move to a ch uh, an adult-to-adult -adult relationship, and we turn it from a parenting into a partnering relationship. So, for example, instead of evaluating, if you anything that you do with an employee, ask yourself this question: Would you do it with your spouse? Well, so, question. would you go home and evaluate your spouse on a one-to-ten basis on how how good of a spouse they are? Well, you wouldn't think of doing that. You'd get kicked out of the house sooner than anything. You wouldn't <laughs> think to do it with your spouse. Well, why would you do it with an employee? So instead of a, a parent-child relationship, what would an adult-to-adult -adult relationship look like? Well, let's look at our relationship right here. Yeah. If I was the boss, yeah. I would be evaluating you. And yeah. I'm, in, I'm in charge. I'm the patriarch in this relationship. And yeah. you're the child, and I'll evaluate you based on how well you do in this podcast because it's on my stream, it's on my social media. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be the boss. Now, we've never operated that way. No. What we've done is that we have an implied agreement. And the agreement is we're going to show up and we're going to work together. You have expectations of me, I have expectations of you. And I now, I'm going to take accountability. When you get a promotion, first of all, you don't get more power. What you get is more accountability. So I have the accountability to make sure this happens, but I don't have the power. And the power comes in our partnership. Now, I might give you feedback. If I'm not showing up and I'm not meeting your expectations, you give me feedback. If you're not meeting my expectations, I'll give you feedback. Mm -hmm. And if we are, we'll enrich this partnership. But what I, what I am proposing in all of the work that we do is that we have to move from a parent-child relationship to an adult-adult. Now, that's a challenge because the boss has to step down and be willing to let go of the need for perceived control. 
But the employee has to step up and take responsibility to say, I'm not going to depend on the boss to make it to make my life at work. I'm not going to depend on the boss to build the culture. I'm not going to depend on the boss to just tell me what to do. I'm going to take an active, engaging role in this relationship. But that all begins at hiring. And you have to hire for an adult. You're not hiring for a child and just you hire for a child when you just give them a job description and tell them to do their job. And we'll evaluate you on a scale of one to 10 on how well you do at the end of the year. Well, mm. this is preposterous in this day and age. So how do you stop from micromanaging? You begin to look at the fundamental uh, philosophy that you're implying when you're working together. Mm. And if we have a clear agreement with each other, these are the results that you're going to agree to to uh, meet. This is the support that you need from me. Uh, these are the consequences of happened, positive and negative consequences. This is how often we'll sit and evaluate how you're doing and how I'm doing, but we evaluate each other. And it's really not an evaluation at all. It's really a feedback process. So you have to look at the fundamental way that you're operating together. All right. Now that's, that's enough of my rambling. What, what's your take on all that? Well, it's interesting that you say this because I keep going back to the sort of two significant styles of teaching. And I think it's also it's 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 two different philosophies. The old school style of teaching is what they call sage on a stage. Um, and you stand back and you direct and you and there's a very obvious power struggle or not struggle necessarily, but power dynamic there. Right. Where the teachers in power, they're directing, they're telling the students what to do. Um, but contemporary educational philosophy says that we should be doing more um, a guide on the side. Um, and so what that means is it's 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 mentoring students, it's working with them, it's not standing at the room and telling them what to do, it's actually defronting the classroom so that the teacher desk and where the teacher teaches from is actually throughout the class and not in front of the class. Um, and it's it's giving ongoing little feedback, it's not about grades at the end of the day. Um, and so this this philosophy is also applying to teaching. But I guess like my, my question to you would be, Dad, is if you're an employee stuck with that kind of boss, what do you do? Well, first of all, if you blame uh, the boss, then you're you're caught in a child perspective. So the first mm -hmm. thing is to become Mom, an adult. I don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. We got to take responsibility for your own well-being at work, for your mm -hmm. own job satisfaction, for your own contribution. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are working in a system that, that continually reinforces a parent-child relationship, then you have to evaluate very for yourself. You have to assess, I'll say, uh, is this a place that I can work in? Mm. But you got you to take, you got to be proactive. And I always say that uh, uh, waiting is not a very good strategy. So you're not going to wait for your boss to, to, um, to change. You're going to take initiative and you're going to say, I, I will take initiative and you design your own contribution. This is the results. So here's what an adult uh, employee would look like. These are the results that I'll promise. This is the support that I need from you. Uh, this is what I need to feel engaged. I'm going to take the initiative to do that. And this, this should be the consequence. Uh, and, and you know what? We talk about how can I, uh, this is what I'd like in return how, that would motivate me to achieve these results. And this is what would keep me engaged. And you start to have those conversations with your boss. Now, if your boss is still wanting to be an evaluative boss, then you got to really look at maybe this is not the right place for me. But mm -hmm. don't just sit and blame your boss and leave because you don't have a good boss. I always say 
before you leave any relationship, a little, I digress a little bit here, but before you leave any relationship, make sure you've done everything you can in that relationship to bring your full presence there. And because if you leave based on fault finding, you will meet that in the next relationship. So if you leave this relationship because you don't like your boss, uh, you will meet the same boss in another relationship, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Somewhere down the line, you're going to meet that again because you got to make sure you got to make sure you've learned what you've needed to learn. So do everything that you can to be an adult in that relationship. Mm, I like that. That's really good. Um, and it's good for, for bosses to reflect on that, but also employees to reflect on that too. Um, Cause it would be- You both have a responsibility yeah. to change. You see, if, if you wait for the boss to change, well, the boss has to stop being so controlling and so micromanaging, then you're still caught in a child perspective, which says that my parents aren't fair. They're not doing it right. And then we go and complain about our parents. And you know what I'm interested in is in the school system. Mm. You're you're in a you're helping kids grow up so that by the time they're 18, they're ready to take on an adult relationship, um, not a not a rebellious teenager, but because if you're if you're defiant or compliant you're not in charge of your life. Either way, you're still operating as a child. But mm -hmm. you, this is about really taking full charge. So you're in a you're in a in a, a position where you're helping kids grow up. So I <laughs> how, I'm just curious how you do that from a teaching perspective. Well, a big one is is that like and it's a big Montessori philosophy too, um is the the independence of the child. Um but where I really struggle I think is is helping coach these kids when the parents interfere. Uh, and I know I'm not a parent in this regard, but, um, you know, when you're trying to give your kid this, the student feedback and you're trying to coach them and, you know, sometimes it's harsh feedback because sometimes they need to learn. Uh, but then the blame game comes from the parents, <laughs> not even from the child, but from the parents, uh, where they start, you know, the, like I've had the personal attacks and like, you're just not teaching right. Or you're just, you know, it's something wrong with the curriculum, blah, blah, blah. um, where the blame game comes at me from the parent which kills me because it's not even like I'm a, they're my subordinate and I'm a supervisor. We're supposed to be on the same team. It's an adult to adult relationship. Right. And I still get some of that because it's a lot easier to blame the teacher than it is to blame their, their child. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been talking to some of my colleagues who've been, who've been teaching for years and years, and they say it's just getting worse and worse. Um, that parents are, are not, are, are, are very quick to hold teachers accountable for things that aren't necessarily the teacher's responsibility. Um, and they're very quick to micromanage teachers. Um, and, uh, you know, I know I, I'm biased towards this, but having being teacher and not having children, I fully recognize that. Um, but, uh, it's a really interesting phenomenon because it's, you know, you, everyone's on the same team. We both want what's best for the kid, right? Everyone comes in with good intentions. They're being mama bear and I'm trying to be a good teacher and support the child. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of conflict can happen that way when parents are just trying to be protective and we're just trying to be supportive. Um, and the kid meanwhile is not taking responsibility or being held accountable for any of this, <laughs> which is what's crazy. Um, and so, yeah, so it's been a, it's, it's been interesting challenges about, you know, reminding to see the good and to work with people and to, to come across, like you said, right from that, not from that, uh, you know, position of power, but come from positions of equals to work together. Um, so yeah, definitely an interesting thing. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, the kid is not taking accountability for anything, not being held accountable at all. The kid is just, you know, makes a screw up and then it's mom, the teacher, 
which isn't fair either. <laughs> well, you see, accountability has been historically blamed. Everybody says that we people should be more accountable. Teachers should be more accountable. Kids should be more accountable. Politicians should be more accountable. Everybody talks about it, but I don't think we really understand what we're talking about. No. And so <laughs> no. Uh, we have to understand that accountability is the ability to be counted on. Now, in the old patriarchal model, accountability was about blame and punishment. And so when we say who's, you know, we got to build accountability here, we're going to punish harder. Well, that's in the old patriarchal system. Yeah. Uh, accountability now in the adult to adult system, uh, what Peter Block would call the stewardship system, is that it's, it, it's a partnership and that accountability is about ownership and personal mm -hmm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. And personally, I would love if I were in the school system, I would sit down with all the teachers and all the parents and have a shared understanding of, of us working together with a similar philosophy. Love that. <laughs> to teach kids how to be accountable. Kids yeah. are born authentic, but they are not born accountable. You have to, they have to learn that. It takes 20 years, if not longer. I mean, uh, I don't know that I fully began to understand about accountability until I started to teach it in my 40s uh, to begin yeah. to understand what it means to take ownership and to decide once and for all that all blame is a waste of time. Once you decide that, make that decision, your life will change forever. But that's the goal. And what would happen is if in every parent-teacher conversation, it started with, let's remind ourselves, what's the goal here? Where our goal is to teach and to foster Johnny to be accountable and to learn to be accountable. So how do we do that? How do we work together as partners in that process? You know me, I... I used to take accountability agreements into meeting with your teachers. And I said, oh, this yeah. is my accountability as a parent. This is your accountability as a, as a teacher. And yeah. how do we support each other so that we can foster accountability with our kids? I just took the initiative to do that. And, you know, uh, you know, and parents, I mean, teachers eventually got onto it and, and they actually greatly appreciate it. I think they were pretty intimidated at first and I came across too intimidating, but <laughs> over time, I think it was helpful. Well, it's just, I think that's the key thing, right? Is that it's remembering, and even for boss employee relationship, everyone's on the same team. Everyone wants the same things, the same goal, right? It's, it's, it's about working together and cooperating because everyone wants the same thing in the end, right? Everyone wants the organization to run smoothly. Everyone wants to avoid as, you know, as many mistakes as possible, right? Everyone's on the same team, right? So finding ways of working together, right? And not against each other and playing the blame game. I even remember too, dad, like, Speaking of accountability agreements, I think we've probably shared this on the podcast before, uh, but how you made me write an accountability agreement before you let me have a dog when I was in grade four. That's how I learned how to use PowerPoint. It was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think we've been through that before, but yeah. I can't, I think we're going to emphasize it a lot because I, I, I think we have an accountability crisis in our world today uh, because we're, everybody is blaming everybody and pointing fingers and we're victims. Uh, we're acting like victims and uh, we got to start, stop and take ownership and model that in, in all of our relationships. So this, this is the foundation of a good life. Let's even, uh, you know, something that, you know, my husband and I, like Adrian and I um, talk about quite often, something that's been a huge thing is that it's that open and honesty about, and being accountable. Like there are sometimes when, you know, for like, we're, you know, I'm 
having a fit because I'm stressed about school or something. Uh, and it's just being honest. Hey, you know what? I'm not in a good headspace right now to talk about this. Can we just watch a show and talk about it after? And just having that open communication or, you know, hey, I'm not in a good headspace right now to decide what I want to make for dinner. Can you do this for me tonight? Right. And just being that honest and being accountable for my own um, emotions and feelings has been such a game changer. Um, and it's just helped that, you know, it's just been a, a huge thing to avoid conflict. It's been really helpful. We haven't had to do it a lot, but the times we have had to do it, it's been great. Well, it's it's an ongoing conversation to have around how to in continually work at building accountability. And, and you yeah. know, we all have expectations of each other. And so how are we going to manage those expectations? We just sit down. Let's We have what, what I call upstream conversations that we say, this is what we're going to agree to do. And, and then we, how do we keep that how do we keep that agreement alive? How often do we need to meet? Mm -hmm. And you work at the at the uh, the work of of manifesting those expectations. Totally, totally. That's great. I like this conversation about accountability. I feel like this is not the only part of this that we should be doing. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> well, does this answer some of the questions that you came up with when you were at the beginning of our conversation today around micromanagement? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Cause I think it's, it's, it's finding ways of working. Oh, I guess my last question before we wrap up is, I mean, accountability agreements, I think maybe is the, the answer to this question, but, um, something that my students, um, probably a big, a, a big thing that comes to me quite often with, with group work is students will come to me and they say, Oh my God, you know, Jenny is not pulling her weight. She's not doing any of the work. What do I do? Uh, and, uh, so then how do you help those students in that regard? Maybe accountability, excuse me, an accountability agreement is the answer, but what would you say to those students? Or, or if you have a group of employees, not necessarily a, a boss employee level, but two employees working together, um, you know, how do you work to develop that, you know, adult to adult relationship in that regard and getting people to be held accountable if they're just not pulling their weight? Oh, this is such a great question. So this is, okay, Jenny is not pulling her weight. Yeah. This Jenny is, is what we just, call- Gosh, Jenny. <laughs> This is what we call a downstream conversation. Uh, so you want to make sure that you've had the right upstream conversation. So did you teach them at the beginning of that project how to have an accountability agreement? So did you right, teach them what expectations do you have from each other? And, what do you, and how will you talk about those expectations? And what agreements will you make with each other? Every expectation has to be completed with an agreement. Um, and you negotiate those expectations, you negotiate the agreements, and then you negotiate how often that we need to do to monitor those agreements. And you have those upstream conversations, and they will minimize your downstream conversations. Because those that, that you know, Jenny's not pulling her weight is an indication we didn't have a good process upstream about what those expectations were. I like that. That makes sense. That actually would be a really good lesson to teach those students about before you get. Uh, you know, th this would be a great opportunity when you're working in groups because they got to learn to work with each other. Yep. So how do they establish those groups and teach teach them how to do that? Again, this is not an inherent skill. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they at some point we have to learn this skill, and this is I think a great opportunity that you can provide as a teacher is to teach them how to have these conversations. Because I'm gonna tell you, uh, leaders are not skilled at this in organizations. Employees aren't skilled at this at, in terms of, what we do is that we just hand people a 
a, a, a piece of paper with an expectation. Remember, an expectation is not an agreement. Just because you email somebody and said, I'd like this project done by Friday. Well, unless you get an agreement that they would be willing to do it, then you can't have accountability. So we got it. So it's a skill that can be learned. I, I and I'd I'd love to see what happens when you begin to teach this skill to your students upstream in these projects. Well, I've had these. This it's interesting. I, I didn't call it an accountability agreement, but every year I do a discussion with the students about cell phones because um, those little those little nightmares show up in class all the time. And um, so we have a big conversation every year. Like, okay, so like, all right, team, what do we do about cell phones? What happens if I see you with a cell phone? What's a good consequence? Um, and it's actually been really beneficial. And almost always the answer actually exclusively always the answer has been take it away because these little, excuse me, these little guys are, are not able to control themselves. So by taking the cell phone away and that's a way for them to be held accountable, then they know the consequences. They know the expectation and it ends up being an agreement between the two of us that if I see you with your cell phone out, I take it. And then it's fair. It's none of this, but it was just on it for two seconds. Um, and it just becomes a, less about blame game and more about like, okay, yeah, that was the deal. You know? So that was a See, hugely then, successful thing. Then you're not the heavy and you're yeah. teaching them. You're modeling exactly what I'm talking about, that you're modeling a, an adult to adult relationship. So when I work with teams, we sit together, uh, particularly if it's a new team, and we will develop a team charter. And mm -hmm. what a team charter is, is is the agreements that we have from each other. We'll list the expectations on a board. We'll prioritize them, and we'll um, and we'll you know narrow it down to five or six expectations with some behaviors. And then if someone violates that agreement, we agree that we're gonna we're gonna honor those agreements, and that we agree if someone violates it, that we'll call each other on it. Mm -hmm. And and uh, then it's not up to the boss to make all that happen. The boss takes response, takes accountability, if you will, to set that whole thing up, but it's everybody's accountability to say, hey, listen, you're not, you're not pulling your load here. So mm -hmm. we call each other on it and that we, we, uh, we have those, those hard conversations, but, but it's not out of the blue. We've agreed to that already. So all you're doing is either perceived or, or directly violating that agreement then we call each other on so you you do that's exactly what you do in the classroom around cell phone i like that i didn't even call it an accountability agreement i just knew it you taught you ingrained it in me for so many years that i just knew how to do it i didn't even call it that i just knew it it was in my blood dad <laughs> yeah well that's that i did my job that's my job <laughs> well listen this is always this is fun as usual and uh, yeah. it's always great so what are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? Oh, so many things. This week I am grateful for, uh, oh, I am grateful for, I had this wonderful moment today or yesterday. Um, these two female students that I have uh, in grade 10, they uh, are taking computer science. And so I was, the, the computer science teacher is also a good friend of mine. Um, and he was telling me that this is, he before this year, he's only had one other student in computer science and his whole other, in his whole, and his other female student in computer science his whole career and this year there are three and so these two students um came up to me yesterday and said we're really struggling with the boys in our class taking us seriously as coders and so we had a really awesome discussion about strategies for for making yourself feel heard in this male space 
and um, about how hard it is to be a woman in, in this in STEM and science, tech, engineering, and math, um, but how important it is for them to be there and how proud I am of them for, for recognizing it and for seeing that and for holding their own. Um, and so it's just, it was a really a bittersweet moment, like sad for them that this is the first time that they're they're experiencing this in their world. Um, really sad. Like I, I, I wish, I wish I could say that it's all going to go away, but I'm also so proud that they are able to recognize that it's not normal, recognize that it's, it's, you know, a, it's, it's a, a conflict when women are in that space. And, and that's why it's so important to have women in those spaces. Uh, and that they're able to see that it's not okay. And so I had a really beautiful conversation with them. So I'm grateful for that. And that they're still in computer science and they're going to push through and, and go into engineering or something in that regard. Um, so I was, I was really, really grateful for that moment. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, Haley. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What are you grateful for? Well, you know what? I'm grateful for our late queen. Yeah. Now, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, this is two days past her funeral now and you know, she wasn't a part of your life like she was with me. I, we used to sing God Save the Queen every morning in class. Oh. And, uh, you know, I I still remember when our Union Jack, our Canadian flag was the Union Jack in Calgary, wow. in Canada. And and how, and I remember shifting the, the, the flag over wow. and that change. And I remember, you know, the Queen came. I was at a world jamboree that I took a train up to Churchill, Manitoba in 1972. Oh my and gosh. the Queen, the Queen flew in in a helicopter and shook every hand of every Boy Scout in that. Uh, Wait, in that, did you uh, shake the Queen's hand? I did. I, I didn't did. know that. I didn't yeah. know that at all. That's so cool. She came wow. to visit our 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 scout jamboree, wow. and uh, so she provided constancy. I can get teary about it. She provided constancy, constancy, tradition, humanity, and it's the end of an era. Mm. Like I've never known anything other than long live the queen. So we now have a king, and uh, I'm grateful for the legacy of humanity and constancy that our dear queen left after her serve and her not to mention her commitment to service she lived a life of service for 70 years you know i i've i have some students who are so critical of the monarchy as an institution and they're so critical of of what britain did to canada and things like that right but but i always stop them i'm like this is not about the time to talk about ideologies this is a time to mourn an individual this is not about a time to talk about political ideologies right now right you can you can mourn an individual you don't have to mourn the institution you know and i think that's what's so important here right is that we have this woman who is so dedicated to her people and such a, a, a advocate for women right which i just think is so important like her prince philip had to stand behind her her whole career in a time when women weren't like were barely leaving the house to work. She was working to serve her country while her husband had to stand behind her, right? And how important that was for for young girls to be able to see that, and how it might be a long time for us to have another queen. We'll see about Charlotte. You know, hopefully she'll be able to little little Charlotte to be able to take that on, but that won't be for a long time, and she very well might not have the throne. Like we'll have a lot of kings for a long time, and and that's a that's a new era. And I don't know if I like that. I like the queen. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it's what the monarchy represents for me. And yeah. we have to look at it mythologically. We have to look exactly. at it symbolically, yeah. not literally. 
And uh, there's something about the monarchy that still has a place in my heart. Now, I, again, I was I was raised with this, and so it's it is my uh, orientation. But uh, and even uh, too, I, I'm grateful. And it's so powerful too to hear all these stories of these people queuing up to say their goodbyes to her. You know, and they'll wait 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours to pay their respects and say goodbye to this woman, right? That uh, you know was a bit of stability in a very turbulent time in, in British and, and Commonwealth history. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Haley, it was always great. Likewise, Dad. Always great. Well, folks, stay real. <laughs> stay real. We'll see you next time.